This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, the vibes are just off. Most of us have had gut feelings before, times when, despite all evidence to the contrary, we feel like things aren't going well. That's what's been happening with the American economy in the past 12 to 18 months or so. On one hand, it appears we've avoided a recession. On the other hand, we were close to a recession. Now, all the data we have at our disposal seems to indicate that inflation is getting better, unemployment is down, and wages are kind of rising. So why does the prevailing sentiment seem to be that things are bad? As it turns out, this is not an unprecedented situation. In fact, Americans often feel one way about the economy when in fact the opposite is true. But sometimes, like in 2008, Americans have sniffed out that the bad vibes do indeed mean a bad economy. So, have we avoided a real recession? Are there more clouds on the horizon? When will the vibes be good again? Welcome to Game Theory, podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making. And Chris, what did you get me for my birthday that you remembered? I got you reservations at one of the best restaurants that I've ever been to, that you've ever been to, that your wife has ever been to. Oh. So happy early birthday from when I made the reservation. Happy birthday. It's <laughs> it's Player Two's birthday today, everybody. Ew. So wish him a happy birthday. Well, He's finally turning I'm... 12. I keep it so it's interesting you say that. I'm 32, just kidding, 33. I have been trying, attempting over a number of years now to shave years off my life with my wife and just be like, oh, I can't believe I'm going to be 32 tomorrow. It has not yet worked, but it will work. I promise it's going to work. That's that's pretty smooth. Well, so I, I texted her about this yesterday to make sure that it was kosher to mm. get you guys reservations with your schedule and all that. I right. know it's okay with your schedule because you're not doing anything. Correct. So you can tell by my hair. Well, it looks great. Thank it looks you. great for a 33-year-old, for, for an adult, yeah. And I said, Cam, I'd like to get you guys reservations tomorrow. Will that work? Okay, great. Happy birthday. Happy Nick's birthday to you both. And she said, he will be the age Jesus died and saved humanity. And here he is making a podcast. <laughs> Same thing, honestly. Uh, this is the Sermon on the Mount, to be frank, I think, right, for the most part. You just got to have perspective on these things. I have. I don't know that Jesus could have done the level of sports analysis that you do on your sister podcast. Thank you. Interesting to see. Factually accurate. He um, could. He could not. He couldn't line up all the news narratives, takes, and gambling. Nor could he adequately, I think, sort through all the difficulties of competition, strategy, and decision making, like we do here. I appreciate that. Speaking of that, I have a nice crossover event. Do you remember during our Taylor Swift episode, we were like, "What's that song where she talks about Glad the uh, LGBTQ?" organization well it's called yes you need to calm down which is an excellent name for a song and it is a good song it is also the favorite song of the greatest curmudgeon to ever live bill belichick here are his thoughts on you need to calm down no
Chris, you need to calm down. I'm trying my best here. Yeah, you need to calm down. So Bill Belichick also is swifty. We, we knew. I mean, deep down, we're all her subjects. Um, <laughs> we're going to try to be back on True. YouTube. We have a new client, and I think that this YouTube thing is going to work out. So that is a positive. Um, high hopes. High hopes. We're going to see. I don't know. I don't trust any. Zoom was so easy, and all these people will do all these bells and whistles. But really, at the end of the day, it's just like I just need the thing to work and... We'll see. I have I, I have high hopes. We are going to see. Also, shouts to everybody for uh, it has been nearly a year since we decided to do this weekly, and we have for the most part done a good job. Summer got a little lazy, but we know that you got a little lazy too. So don't even come at us with that. Yeah, I want to give a huge shout out to everybody that's in the Player Three Corpus who has taken this new academic year as fresh start. I hope that's going well for you. Still, I know at this point, for me, it is not. No, I've had to restart a few times already within the restart period. But it seems like autumn is a time where people kind of collect themselves. Summer is like, okay, we're we're really out for school here. Yep. Let's just relax. Don't worry about it. Enjoy the sunlight. Enjoy each other's company, all that good stuff. And then you pick up the pieces again in the fall, and then football hits. Yes. And you realize, well, I don't really want to be self-disciplined every single day. Yeah. I don't want to be in that Sigma grind set. Sigma. I want to watch the Irish win. And I want to watch the Lions win. And I want to watch Aaron uh, Rodgers get injured uh, well, on the first drive of his career as a New York Jet. Bad vibes on the Aaron Rodgers injury for, for sure. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's in a pumpkin and the weather's cool. It's been the overnight low in Tennessee has been below 60 for like four days in a row, which is crazy exciting for me. I love that. I have a fireplace outside, which is nice. That's that's not bad. That's a really yeah. good arrangement, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, and, and, you know, now that you have a fire pit yourself, we might have to go back and reevaluate our rankings from our – Best things about fall oh, list. Yes, my my backyard is sitting outside warm. with a fireplace has got to be up there and do it in the comfort of your own home mm-hmm. where you can go in and mm-hmm. shower and get cleaned up There's and all a bathroom that. right there. Yeah. There's just so much to be said for for that kind of stuff. <sighs> I, I am fall. drinking pumpkin flavored coffee creamer right mm. now. I bought pumpkin flavored healthy cereal. Well, <laughs> is it just like it's a dried pumpkin in there? Basically, I don't know. It doesn't taste that good, but it smells like pumpkin. Disgusting. But well, it doesn't, though. It smells three. like pumpkin spice. We talked about this. It's not pumpkin. That's right. Pumpkin spice. The spices that go into the pumpkin pie that make it delicious. It's not about the pumpkin. It's about the spice. Correct. Player three, we're delighted to be with you. If you're starting your own annual restart on the journey to self-improvement, we're, hope, we're hoping to learn something with you along the way as we continue our favorite hobby, favorite pastime. And now that that heartfelt message is over let's get to the podcast today we're we're doing something about my friend not my friend someone who i have dm'd with a few times named kyla scanlon who's she's the shit she is a 20-ish something economic uh, content creator she's awesome i think she's based out of salt lake city she worked with the u.s federal reserve and she'll appear on things like the boring news channels like bloomberg and cnn money and fox business and things like that to talk about things she came up with this term on tiktok and she called it the vibe session and it, I, as far as we can tell, that's the first time people have used the term this year. But this is far from the first time that this concept of everyone's gut feeling that the vibes are off in the economy uh, has happened. Now, what's really fascinating, we're going to go into all of this, is there have been times when the vibes have been off and all of the people are like, dude, the vibes are not off. And then the, the people were like, oh, dude, the vibes were off. We told you the vibes were off. We're in one of those right now. So uh, who's right? The math nerds or the vibes? 
it really does depend on who you ask. It, yep. it, the most fascinating thing to me about this is that the, the vibe session reveals something about game theory and rational thinking that is just so interesting. We, we talk about biases all the time on the program. <laughs> we try to separate those biases from irrational thoughts. We understand that almost all of human decision-making is based on emotion or some non-rational basis for thought, and then rationality is used to kind of come through at the end and clean things up and justify decisions that are already made. And that's why this story about the economy is so, so fascinating to me. So the vibe session, I think, is a really great term for it. I'm, I'm looking at an, an Axios story they published just a month ago, just in August. And according to the story, in a telephone survey of 1,800 adults running from August 10th through 14th, 71% of Americans described the economy as either not so good or poor. And more than half, 51%, said it's getting worse. However, and this is where the interesting thing, this is the, the, the interesting point to me. Mm. 60% of those same people surveyed said their own financial situation is good or excellent. That is What's weird. happening here is the vibes are off, but it only seems like the vibes are off out there. In here, things are fine. And, you know, say what you want about Paul Krugman. Mm. Paul Krugman is somebody that uh, nerds like to criticize because it, it's, it, it, you know, it's like one of those rites of passage. It's like David Foster Wallace. Like, you sure. cannot be seen appreciating this person in public in front of your, like, smart friends. But in front of your not-so-smart friends, it he might also have a reputation as the guy who was shown in, like, a little headshot quotation saying that the Internet's impact on the economy will end up being no bigger than the fax machines. <laughs> That's like a fit. It, it sounds crazy, but he ended up being right about that. So say what you want about Paul Krugman. I, as a not so smart person, decided to read into one of his articles and he wrote an op-ed this month in September titled, I'm okay, but things are terrible in quotation marks. That's And, this, and his this, point was, his point is essentially the same. Yeah. He said that most Americans think the economy is bad. They think that Bidenomics is failing. They think that we're headed for worse times, but personally, and by all measures of personal economic behavior, most people are doing pretty good. They say they're doing good, which is part of this too. Well, they, well, they say, well, that, so that's yeah. the thing in the Axios survey, it said that 60% of people self-evaluate their personal financial situation. So you can assume that a certain percentage of people don't really have an appreciation or don't have context or you know, maybe they overestimate or, or whatever the case is. It could be the case that that's not really an indicator of whether people's personal financial situation is actually healthy. However, the data actually tell a story that suggests that that kind of aligns with, with what's going on. So, for example, the Federal Reserve runs a survey of economic well-being of households, which is different from the Axios survey. Mm -hmm. And at the end of 2022, 73% of households said they were at least doing okay financially. And that's down from the previous year. So that's down from 2021. But it's not significantly below where it was pre-pandemic in 2019. In 2019, half the population said the national economy was good or excellent. In 2022, only 18% of people said the national economy is good or excellent. So the vibes are still down. But, and here's where the data come into play. Mm -hmm. Consumer spending has been strong. 
And so what that means is American families are confident enough in their own financial situation to make purchases and basically stimulate the economy. And we, we really do have a case of Biden going, guess what? Helps the economy or grows the economy. <laughs> Hurts nobody. Helps everybody. It helps everybody. And so, so consumer spending is up. But then you ask about questions like, well, what about macroeconomic indicators such as inflation? Ooh. Well, according to a recent poll by the Wall Street Journal... Almost three quarters of Americans say inflation has moved in the wrong direction in the last year. Well, However, true. <laughs> no, it's not. This is not true. Americans simply do not realize like the inflation is is plunging. I mean, it's it's at like it's it's down almost two thirds from where it was a year ago. And it, when when you ask consumers about this, it, it's it's curious to me because I, I think people are are everybody experiences biases in evaluating their own personal situations. But I think people are far, far, far better equipped to evaluate their own financial interests and positions and capabilities and whatever else than they are to evaluate the economy. Evaluating the economy is hard. People get it wrong a lot. And not, when I say people, I don't mean like the public at large. I mean like professionals who are economists. I was, I was in a meeting the other day with a guy who's like an economic specialist. And he's like, he's the type of guy who's like, you know, I can tie the economy into geopolitics and grand sure. strategic competition and all this guy. So he's he's like a smart or he's a smart dude and he knows how to contextualize like what the national economy means for national power. And he said, I was given advice early on in my career that I found to be true. If you're an economist, you can pick a number or you can pick a date, but you can't pick both. It's like you can't say, Oh yeah, the economy is gonna grow thirty percent by the end of the decade or whatever like you, you can't you can't do that you can say well the economy is poised to grow 30 percent, or you can say well you know by the end of the decade we expect to experience growth but you can't you can't align on those things it's just hard to understand the economy and it's also the case that people have an imperfect measuring or a data collection system i should say not everybody reads every single news article about every single financial event that occurs every single day in fact most people don't really read any of that so it kind of makes sense that people are assessing the economy to be off, but when it comes down to it, that's why I think the vibe session is the perfect term because people really only are able to evaluate the economy on vibes when they don't have a hard look at the data and they don't have context for what those data mean. I, yes. So, and that, 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 that I think is part of the, the big deal. I'm sharing my screen now. Um, oh, wow. I feel, I've, I feel like I feel so corporate. I, that's what I, I'm trying to figure out if I can find how I want to do it. Could you see the graph I'm putting up? It's called the present situation and expectations index. Can you see that? That sounds, that sounds like very like Chinese translated into English through a translate, like a sure. Google translate. Okay. So here, okay, so I, I can, I can see it. This is a really, right. this is a really fascinating graph. Sure. Immediately 2020 stands out to me, but tell me, tell me what's going on. Okay. Here. So the graph is simple and you can watch this on YouTube and there are two squiggly lines. That's a line graph, right? And there's, they're squiggling and they squiggle and, and whatever on the top. Um, uh, and, and in blue, if you're watching this is the present situation, the facts of the matter. And then the bottom, which is orange is expectations and they're squiggling and they're squiggling. And there are a couple points here. The, there are two shaded areas of gray, on the x-axis and those are actual shitty times <laughs> like real recessions one is 2008 to around 2010 ish obviously and the other one is for five minutes in 2020 <clears throat> during the plague this is from the national bureau of economic Re research and you can see the present situation collapses during the plague but the expectations are just like up and down and up and down like a heart monitor then in 2020 
like 2021-ish, the economy comes back because we did all of the things we should do and every country in the world who was doing plague stuff and stimulation, they, they, it all worked. However, around that time, the squiggly lines are, for expectations are no longer going up and down and up and down. They're just going down. The present situation is as good as it has been since uh, 2017, according to this. This graph is way too complex to be been made by people who are politically biased. This was made by nerds. And you can, you can tell the squiggly line says it's as good as it's been for five, six years almost. But the present situation, vibes are lower than they've been since 2016 when Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton made all of us watch their little reality TV show. So... That has to be what's happening, right? This is all politically. Then, then the CEOs are making all the money, and Taylor Swift is stimulating the economy. But everyone, but everyone privately is saying, "I'm good." So, I, on one hand, I also I want to wonder: Is everyone just lying about their financial situation? Because that is totally possible. Our generation, the millennials and Gen Xers, are very much don't talk about money, which is bad. It's a bad habit. It's, that's how people keep salaries down. It's a bad habit. So, I wonder if people are just filling out the data and saying, "Like, oh, I'm doing great." You do have to wonder that. Yeah. It, you know, I, I also wonder if there might be a little bit of of kind of speak it into existence. Sure. Like manifest. Like if I if I say my financial situation is good, then my financial situation will be good. I, I wonder how much of that story people are telling themselves. Who knows what goes into the way that people respond to these surveys about financial well-being? I, I think the cognitive dissonance between I'm okay, but things are terrible is hard to appreciate also because for exactly the reason you said, I mean, people don't really talk about finances as much. I, you know, I, I think, I, I think generations are made up and stupid, but I do think that you're right about millennials and Gen Xers not really discussing wages or personal finances to the degree that I think it was like advertised. I've, I've, it feels like years ago, you know, like when we were in college, the advice was kind of shifting. Well, you know, you should talk about your salary because the only people that stand to benefit from it are the company, the, the company benefits from people being in the dark about how much money they're earning and that also is like a mask for them to just do things that are straight up unequal like pay women less for the same jobs that men are doing for the same level of experience all that kind of stuff so it's a way for them to kind of hide wrongdoing i don't know if it's even malicious i think it's just that they don't want to pay attention to that sort of thing and they don't want to cough up any more money than they have to but i also think that as millennials have gotten older and, and, you know, here's another case where I'm using my own selection bias and my own personal circle to make an evaluation about a broader cultural trend. So, you know, mm. a, a pot or kettle here. Yeah. But it seems to me that, you know, people that I know as as people have gotten more successful and gotten better jobs and are making more money and all that kind of stuff, they're much, much less inclined to talk about it. Maybe they're just less interested, but I, I feel like I have way fewer financial and salary-based negotiation discussions now than I did even five or six years ago. So I don't know, I don't know how to explain that, but I do think that you're right. I mean, people don't, don't really talk about it. And so our financial situations are kind of in a vacuum and without a real understanding of some pretty complex data and and some pretty consistent collection on that information, it's hard for people to make an evaluation. You know, you, you, when you have imperfect data, you can't really speak intelligently. I, I mean, Look at this podcast as an example. Sure. We do some research. Yeah. We find stuff. Yeah. We, we, we do our best not to, to spread misinformation. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I mean, we're not, we're not experts on any of the stuff that we're talking about. So all of this should be a starting point for people to try to learn elsewhere, you know, fi- find better information elsewhere 
and do more learning. It's a, it's a jumping off point. It's not the be all end all. And I, I think you can draw the same conclusion from these economic surveys. I mean, the way that people feel about the economy is a factor in determining whether the economy actually is good or isn't. But you should look at how much money people are spending, like consumer, consumer can uh, price or you know, consumer spending is a better measure than whether people say that they're financially doing well or not. So it's what's what, what I find interesting is did you have we talked about this on the show before uh, how, how like one way that people can kind of tell that a recession is coming or that we're in one? I think we might have mentioned it's like it, it's like some wives tale sounding thing. It's like, you know, when 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 the gays start moving into a neighborhood, that's how you know that property values are going to start yes, to increase. It is very, it feels, it feels that. like that. It is very similar to that. And so people have actually looked into this. There's one group of people in uh, two sections of the country that have been able to pretty accurately predict when the recession is coming or when we are already in one. And those people are exotic dancers or strippers. Sorry. Yeah. So it's very simple, and you can see there. Since TikTok has made everyone equal on the platform, as long as your content is viral, vi- has virality, whatever, virality. <laughs> we're doing this again. <laughs> whatever. Well, I don't. I don't care. I yes, don't care. Uh, as long as your content is, as long as your content ex- contacts a doctor if you experience <laughs> it for more than four hours. Yeah. Well, that TikTok kicks you off after two. I've tried. Um, so that what people have found, it's very simple in 2008, what was what the first things to go, man? Vegas suffered the most because people didn't have expendable income. There's no fun timeshares, hotels, travel, they crash. What is the most expendable income? Like your straight cash, homie, the strip club. So when strippers are like, don't write checks. Mm-hmm. So this is, and this is, we saw this during the vibe session because we, these people pop up in my timeline. When we look into this, there are strippers that said last year about, I don't know, Early part of last year, February, January-ish, the strippers were like, Mm-mm, times are bad. Times are bad. The bankers aren't coming anymore. Times are bad. And then... This was, this was January 2022. 22. And then by November, they were like, we're good. Like, they're back. We're totally fine. Which That's- is not constitute a recession at all. That was like five minutes of a recession. Right. And, and you know, I think, I think technically there was a point where the U.S. entered into a recession based on one particular... It's like if one you experience... Quarter, yeah. yeah, if you Two experience... consecutive a- of negative growth. Yeah. Yeah, so two consecutive quarters in the year, so meaning six months straight of negative economic growth. Yes, but so, so this is it's interesting that you say that. So that is technically the parameter. However, that happened because I was working in 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 uh, finance journalism at the time for a bunch of REITs, which is a, an acronym that means Real Estate Investment Trust. And what REITs are is just a group of people that own real estate. Like some of them are publicly traded, some of them are privately traded. The publicly traded ones, of course, have to have these quarterly calls and to listen to them and blah 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 blah. Right. So these REITs mm-hmm. and all these people want to know, like, is it a time to spend money or a time to save money? Like th- that's the general question of investing. In the economy, and everyone's paying attention to the GDP and the, cons- the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, which is how much shit costs. It's how we measure inflation. Um, there's a wage index as well and a bunch of different stuff, right? The technical definition is two consecutive years or two consecutive quarters of negative growth. So the economy doesn't grow, it contracts. Like people are making less money, we're spending less, like things are getting smaller. However, sure. that did happen. And a lot of economists, including this this girl, Kyla Scanlon, that um, I mentioned earlier, and economists that we were working with were like, yeah, technically, yeah, but, but like no one's ready to call it a recession yet. I'm like, why? Well, wages are up. 
the there's yeah, there no was, labor. It's like, well, you said that this is the definition. And then they were like, yeah, but there's some fine print. So it was technically a recession, but no one was like, yep, we're in a recession. Everyone was like, nah, maybe not quite. Yeah, it's it's kind of like when you graduated college. They looked at your transcript and said, well, you, you know, you have all the credits here, technically mm. speaking, but I don't know if you've really captured the spirit of the institution. It's, it's kind of like your that. fake you graduation. You're going to talk. You're going to talk. Yeah, yeah, on, on yeah, this yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's tell you a story of your fake graduation. You went to Notre Dame, one of the top five cults in America. And you, that's right. Apparently you wanted to major in two things, which takes an extra year. Totally fine. It does. But because yeah. you had a class and you lived on campus, they're like, well, I would like to walk with my class. Like, but you're not graduating college. No, no. I got to go back me, next They year. handed me a little. Well, so everybody gets their yeah. little diploma. So they, they give the diplomas out in the college mm. celebrations. So, so I graduated with all my chemical engineering friends. And when they walked by and shook the dean's hand, they got their diplomas in this nice kind of leather-bound monographed thing. And it was it's a really nice little deal. And we all got to say tearful goodbyes and say hello to each other's parents and blah, blah, blah. Well, they handed me one. And I opened it up, and it was a letter that, in nice words, basically said, better luck next year. <laughs> and I, I think it was the same wording they probably use for people who want to go through graduation but, like, flunk a class at the end or something. Uh -huh. And I wouldn't know about that, but it did it did say that. And so, like, I watch all my friends leave and uh, go start their successful lives, and I was, like, the guy in failure to launch. Oh, yeah, I remember. You lived on campus, and things were fun. And then the next yep. year, your fifth year... You lived kind of on off campus and things were not nearly as fun for you. As in graduate student housing and I received a letter, an email in the summer before I set to move in that said, we know the graduate student residences have outlived their useful lives. And oh. I thought, if that's the case, why am I going there? But regardless, yeah. my personal financial situation had nothing to do with the broader <laughs> trends at the university, and so blah, 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 blah. But when you when you talk about stuff like consumer spending, the consumer spending index, and you talk yeah. about real wages, there are there are factors at play. Like, like I've, I've made the joke about this on the show before about how there's like that skit where these guys are like, well, you know, we need to cut some businesses. Or we need to cut some employees from the business. And say, why are right. we in trouble? And say, well, no, it's because the economy's bad. The economy's bad. There's there's a difference between factors that affect a person and factors that indicate the actual economic landscape. And so unemployment often comes up in discussions like these. You know, unemployment was a major, major problem during the Great Recession of 2008, 2009. I remember distinctly giving speeches about this in high school. I was in, you know, I was in the debate team at the time, and obviously the economy is a huge topic among these little nerds. And... <laughs> I, I distinctly remember reading in uh, in a bunch of the newspapers that unemployment peaked at 11.8% nationwide. And so in some pockets of the country, it was higher. In some pockets of the country, it was lower. But 11.8% is huge. Well, obviously, unemployment went through a spike during COVID because people couldn't go to work. I mean, you, you were it, it was not safe for people to do so. We had a brand new virus. Nobody in the world had antibodies yeah, to it. Totally. So everybody had to leave their jobs. And so unemployment skyrocketed. It, it got to nearly 15%, just a huge, huge, huge loss of people doing work. And through a process of really serious, rigorous economic recovery, the unemployment rate absolutely plummeted and kind of normalized after that. And NPR ran a story in February this year 2023 that said unemployment is at 3.5 percent which is where it was at the, at the 
beginning of COVID. So like COVID hit, unemployment was super low. And I'm going to add to that, not only was unemployment back to where it was before the pandemic, mm-hmm. but it also was at its lowest point in 54 years. Yeah, The Department of Commerce published data about that. And it actually says unemployment dropped to 3.4% in February 2023 as the U.S. economy made half a million jobs in January and 800,000 manufacturing jobs over two years. And, you know, of course, the Commerce Department is publishing this. They say, well, you know, it's evidence that the president's plan is working. But the point is, unemployment hasn't been this low. The percentage of Americans working hasn't been this high in 54 years. I mean, it's it's unbelievable how yeah how how well the employment the labor market is doing and so when when you look at that and you consider well you know the number of people working that has to have some kind of effect on the economy right i mean more people have more jobs that means more people have more money in their pockets that means people are able to spend more that has to be some kind of positive indicator it's not the be all end all but it does seem to me that unemployment is like the one that hits home the most i mean even even looking immediately outside one's own financial situation, you can see like your friends and your neighbors and your family and say like, well, you know, none of my neighbors have jobs. They all lost their jobs. And so what are they going to do? Yeah. Versus, well, everybody around here is working. So I guess we're all good. I don't know. I'm sure things are terrible elsewhere, but we're all okay. Right. So it it gives you a little bit better. I think it's, it's a more immediate, tangible economic indicator that the average person like us can point to and say, well, this seems like a good thing for most people. And I don't know what that means for the rest of the economy, but it it seems okay. So that raises a good and interesting point, I think, about what we're talking about, like regarding like metrics and and the deep dive of what data means, what thing, right? Because for me, when I I learned what unemployment actually meant in 2008 or nine, when I was graduating high school, I was kind of shocked when I say like the unemployment rate is this or that, because for years I was just like, oh, it's how many people have jobs. And if you have a job, you're good or whatever. I think there's some psychology at play here just because at some point we have to start tracking the difference between are people employed or do people have careers? Like, do they have health benefits? Is their salary livable in their city? Because if it's it's very simple that if you go get a, a job where you're making somewhere above even minimum wage twenty dollars an hour like in Washington D.C. where you live that's still not an indicator of positive economic success it just means that that company has can employ someone to do their work and therefore they're growing economically but it's not a sign that the individual who has the twenty dollars an hour job is growing economically which is kind of the point so when you look at careers versus unemployment we know that the big tech companies google facebook amazon amazon again facebook again or meta they laid off like i don't know like a hundred something thousand employees now those people have incredibly intense careers and they're very coveted for the most part but that's a lot of people dumped on the workforce if they go get a job at starbucks and like oh well the unemployment rate down like yeah but that's not the same thing as someone making 200 grand a year at google and they're not going to stimulate the economy with their $25,000 a year job. They, but those people could also participate in surveys where they feel better about their lives because they have a job instead of taking unemployment. Like that's, that's part of this too. Like, Oh, well I have a job. I'm good. Well, no unemployment is actually worth more. And, and, and with your skill set, it would be more valuable to everyone. If you uh, instead took eight hours a day and tried to find a new career instead of making me coffee. Yeah, that, that, that's a really good point. And, and I think, you know, the game theory takeaway from this is that, 
the data do not speak for themselves. We've no. talked about this before. Like you, you, you can't just look at a number and say, well, you know, obviously the conclusion is that the economy is doing really well. Look how many people have jobs. Yeah. No, there's more subtlety to it than that. Well, obviously people are doing really well because they say they're doing really well. Well, no, there's more context to it than that. Everybody's individual story is so much more complex than, be can, than can be captured in something as simple as survey data about how the economy is doing. And so when it comes to making decisions about the economy, like we're, we're never offering financial advice. We would never, never do it. Yeah. This is not advice to anybody. Do not listen to us. Never. We are not here to help you. We're here to learn ourselves. Mm. But- when it comes to trying to understand complex issues, we always suggest start with the stats and you gotta, you gotta build from there. Either it, either that, or if you're unwilling to do the work that like, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to learn about this kind of stuff. I'm not going out and looking at financial data every single day. So if that's not something you're willing to do, then my advice is to just don't, you know, don't make big pronouncements about, oh, the economy is great. People just don't know it. Or, you know, the economy is actually pretty bad and people's vibes are, are off in the wrong direction or whatever. I, I, I think it's it's very telling, Nick, that people have one set of thoughts about themselves and another set of thoughts about the economy. And still, not even when you marry those two, even when you identify that that trend, there's still a lot of digging you have to do to get below what the statistics tell you, to get below what the consumer spending data tell you, to get below what the unemployment data tell you. Yeah, at a certain, at a certain point with data, with the economy, there's just so, I almost think there's too much data because you can just kind of paint any picture you want. It's all retrospective. The analytics, man. Yeah, yeah when you literally. Can, when you divide, you, yeah. you divide the, the economy and all, and, you know, and people do this with other stuff too, like Everything. baseball and whatever. Yeah. Like, I saw a tweet the other day that was like the most important stat in baseball is a blah, blah, blah. I don't even know what the acronym was. And it was like some ratio of the number of times that somebody gets on base to the number of times that they're on base with run. It's just ridiculous stuff. So you can, what was that thing you said about torture oh, victims? Torture, yeah. Data, data are like a, um, a hostage. If you torture it, it'll tell you what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly. So, so you can, waiting through you all can, this is bad. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can beat the hell out of data all day long and learn this or that. Like maybe maybe it's a useful exercise. I wouldn't know because I don't I don't really like doing that kind of stuff. So in 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 data science, the thing and people who work in science will know this. The N is the important thing, and that's in in medical stuff and and medicine is where true science is happening because there's the most progress, the most money, and then they can do controlled trials like actual experimentation. You can't get uh, 300 million people and be like, okay, let's fuck with them for five years and see what happens to the economy, quote unquote. Like you just have to look at retrospective data. That's what's available and that's what's going to happen. But in medicine, you can do that because the, there's demand. It's important to humanity. People want to make money off of it. It's a big thing. It's it's economic. It's, it's humanitarian. Um, the N, the number of people in the trial can be too big and too small. There is a sweet spot and finding that sweet spot is a really important thing because like with this economy, there are 350 million Americans. How many of those people are like documented correctly? And I'm not nothing about immigration. Just like the census can be off by 20 million and it wouldn't be weird. There's just too big. Like how the hell could you possibly do that? And of those people, how many are, are fighting things like racism or incarceration or whatever else, mental health issues, undiagnosed medical issues or whatever. And then you break it down by geography. And all of a sudden you have all this data and you're saying, well, the economy, the unemployment is 2.4%. Like, mm, or, you know, how many people aren't filling out the unemployment paperwork or how many people are not participating in this? And 
because the N, the number of people in, and this is just the American economy, of course, because the N is so big, I can just make any conclusion that I want. So the vibes, people's vibe thing is an interesting factor. And you mentioned in one of the articles that we, we discussed that there have been times throughout history when the vibes have been off and the economy has been good. However, there has also recently been a time when everyone, all of the nerds were like, the economy's good. And the people were like, no, it's not. I don't know why. And then, you know, the entire people were questioning the idea of capitalism as a thing that can work in 2008. It, like we all, we were almost into a dark ages situation in 2008. And the only indicator was a couple people that Michael Lewis fabricated some information about and a bunch of people that were like, the vibes are off. The vibes are off. Yeah, it was, it was a very bizarre time. And I, I, I do want to point out, you know, we, we, th- this is going to actually segue us into the question of like, well, okay, what causes this? Or what, what is this? What's the origin of, these kind of competing narratives here. And it was, it was so bizarre in doing research for this. I I found information from obviously this year, the vibes are off, but there's also Mm -hmm. stories from a year ago (laughs) that say, well, Americans think the economy is really bad, but it's actually really good. Like from June 1st, 2022, the Atlantic published a piece that is titled, and I'm not kidding. Everything is terrible, but I'm fine in quotation marks. <laughs> it's the it, it's it's a paraphrasing of Paul Krugman's article from a month ago. And so that, that was kind of bizarre to see. But then you mentioned 2008. It was very, very surreal to find this this little gem from CBS News, June 16th, 2008. So we were officially in a recession at this point. The economy isn't as bad as we think. <laughs> and. The, the story, actually, that, that I found goes on to say that, well, this guy, Greg Esterbrook, wrote in that edition of the Wall Street Journal that the economy is actually doing pretty good. Uh, the, the author of the CBS piece, uh, whose name is Michael Barone, or Barone, Baron, I don't know. I'm sorry, mm. Michael. Baron. But he says, I've, I've written along similar lines myself. By any historic standards... The American economy is in pretty good shape, and living yeah. standards are at an all-time yeah. high. So it's 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 a very weird thing, it, and it it calls to mind what's that that famous line from Henry Ford in the 30s? It's like, well, the economy is really great, but not a lot of people know it. I, I want to find the exact quotation yeah, because that's a good one. it's it's so bizarre. See, like we're obviously in bad economic times, and and everything is relative too. Like if you look back at all of human history, I poured pumpkin flavored cream from a container, a plastic container in my refrigerator to flavor my exotic espresso. Do you have any idea how many merchants had to cross how many millions of miles of of nautical miles of ocean to get all those goods 400 years ago? And I can just go to the grocery store. There's like, obviously we live better than any other time in human history. Correct. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. But you can't just say like, well, historically speaking, we're fine when somebody is like, okay, well, both the parents in this household lost their jobs. One of them has a medical issue and they got three other mouths to feed. Like you can't, you can't just say, well, the economy is good. You just got to cheer up about it because people's personal situation is, is different from that. So I, I want to find, I want to find this Henry Ford quote about the, the, how, how great the economy is doing. Cause like seeing that from 2008 is just so, so jarring. It's like, and the economy sucked then it was, it was not good. A lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of people lost their homes. It was, they lost their retirement savings. It was terrible. Yeah, and well, yeah, they lost. Yeah, they lost everything. I think at that point, the that's when you get government conspiracy. Like, will you please write an op-ed? Maybe that will calm people down. But people are like, I could read the news, bro. Like, gas was four dollars a gallon, and now it's ninety-nine cents. The fuck is going on? 
<laughs> yeah, it's very it's it's very strange. And you know, one one's own personal experience is not it's not necessarily reflective of or uh, uh, representative of the broader situation. So um, it's it's interesting because I think in one of my big theories back when I, I was I, I toyed around with if I had discovered my love of history a couple of years earlier in college I would have majored and studied differently my life would be different how crazy would that be but yeah, well, I, one of the big theories I had I told you I had two I had two theories that professors really liked or well one was a scholar and I could have wrote a paper but I had to have surgery and that was the medieval everything is magical because it was so boring and shitty theory and then my other theory was that because history is a cycle and if you're doomed to repeat itself of course at some point in the history of interpersonal communications we were broadcasters and that is hunter-gatherer there was a femme fatale we think a leader of matriarchal society these herds of people could go from 40 to five or six hundred people they roamed around the eight they you know procreated whatever and then we go to something called um narrow casting which is where there's a lot more one-on-one situations. And this leads us into things like slavery. Like your slave doesn't need to know what's going on in the economy of Egypt. The slave just needs to know what to do. So you're narrow casting to five or six people. And then we go back to broadcasting with the advent of like the printing press and literacy rates go up and then the radio happens. And we're in a period of broadcasting for centuries. It's like one of the longest periods of any communication, right? And then the internet comes out and we are back to narrow casting. When we go to narrow casting, we kind of go back to like a medieval kind of governance, which is that people are kingdom-based, fiefdom-based, pod-based. You're in your own niche, and the more niche it gets, or back then it would have been geographically limited, but now it's kind of cyber-limited. You're in your little niche. You don't really know, need to know what's going on out there. And, and you can narrowcast your friends. Yes. Shout out exactly. to Player 3 for joining us on this narrowcast. Okay, so quick diversion <laughs> yes. for you. Yeah, okay. I was reading this book. It's called From Dawn to Decadence by Jacques Barzun, who's a historian. From Dawn really, to Decadence. Really hold on, hold on. Is, it, is it about the death of the American way of life? No, it's about the birth of modernity from 500 years ago. And it, it's, like, it's like a beefy, it's like a thick boy. It's a thick yes. book. And I just got to the part about the uh, century of kind of like revolution. Mm-hmm. And here's one for you. Okay. This guy argues that the American Revolution was in no way an actual revolution. Mm, Fascinating. So he said so on the grounds that in the the 18th century, there was like this kind of encyclopedic, the 17th century and into the 18th century, there was this encyclopedic desire to kind of catalog and categorize everything. And for whatever reason, monarchy had answered like the needs of, of local governing populations and so it, it didn't have the the reflection or it, it didn't reflect you know american individualist ideas where every human person is due in, in inherent dignity and the right to self-governance and and all that kind of stuff but this guy argues well it, it did answer the needs of of people at the time because yeah. people living in squalor the economy is based on how much you could load onto a cart and have a horse trade it from place to place. We were less interconnected than ever. And it wasn't so much that there was like a single monarch as much as it was the case that there were like a ton of kingdoms and the Kings kind of like ruled this much smaller area. So like, they it's were not CEOs. really appropriate. Yeah. It's like, it, it's not really appropriate to sit, to talk about like Germany in the late 16th century as, as opposed to the Germanies. And yes. I don't mean like, oh yeah, there were a handful of Germanies. Like, no, Hundreds. there were like thousands of Germanies. Yeah, and and that was that he argued that was the case too for a long time in on the Italian Peninsula and in Normandy or in in Norman country and all, all kinds of stuff. So his argument was 
about the American Revolution that monarchy had kind of consolidated because of like the English Civil War and wars of conquest such that the English Empire was an established thing and like France was like a unified thing where everybody would have started to speak French because of Henry the ooh, or no Louis the 13th, 14th, 16th, I think. 16th, maybe. I don't know. One, one of the important, Little. like the, the big important Louis. Yeah. And because <laughs> of that, this much smaller provincial model where you like pay taxes into a, like a local kingdom and that local king takes care of like local needs and there are like local township councils and whatever mm-hmm. else people participate on. He said with the American colonial system, the colonists were actually just going in a natural progression away from that centralized kingdom and toward this kind of provincial based like more yeah. local system yeah and it was like I, I was talking to some friends of mine about the the long state theory like, have, have you looked at the shape of like mm. the southern colonies on a u.s map yeah um like no but i know what you're talking about yeah like well Tennessee they run like they run like super and- yeah yeah they, they're so they're so east to west and that's because like on original maps if you look at them the the, the colonies run or the states i guess run from the coast and they just like make a big kind of tract of land inward. Like there's a reason that North Carolina and Tennessee share the same latitude for their Northern borders with Kentucky and Virginia. And the border with each other is just a mountain range. It just would have been a pain in the ass to get from one to the other. Truly. Yeah, truly. I mean, that's, they're basically, I mean, in a sense they are, they both have great barbecue, but so, so his, his argument was that the American revolution wasn't really a revolution in any meaningful sense. And, and he, through so much shade he's like well you know the the contents of the founding documents like the declaration of independence and blah 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 so that uh, it, it was done by a weak government he was referring to the the articles Continental of Confederation. Congress. Yeah, yeah 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 he's it was done by a weak government and all of the reflection or all the all the containing all the john Locke that it contained and blah 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 it's like that just meant that the wealthy aristocrats who were governing the local populations had read the latest books from paris what? Like my man, Shit. Jacques. Uh, Jacques is get your salty. head out yeah. of your rear end. French scholars want France to get more credit for the American Revolution, and they deserve quite a bit more than they get in this country. That is for sure. But yeah, uh, sure. yes, well, they don't. Uh, they don't deserve as much as France thinks they do. They don't. I agree with that for sure. Because um, they they thumb their nose up at it for a while. But irregardless. We are heading back to this period of hyper like nicheness, and it has nothing to do with state borders. The state borders at this point only kind of determine the the local laws of government. We're finding that a lot of there. I recently saw an op ed from the Dallas Morning News that I didn't steal. Actually, I saw a TikTok about it, and then I looked it up, and I didn't definitely didn't steal it um, because I'm not going to subscribe to the Dallas Morning News. I live in Tennessee, but of people course. are from. All, there's been this rush. The craziest thing that's happened: people can work from home, and then they could prove that they work from home. And some CEOs are like, "You have to work at the office so I can justify this 45 billion dollar campus." Mm-hmm. But for the people that can work from home, and they did during the pandemic, they're like, "Why am I paying California taxes again? I don't want to do that." So they were like, "Which states don't like taxes?" Well, Wyoming, nope, no real infrastructure or state there. Don't want to live there. And I, even the Californians can't afford to live in Teton County. So they nope. don't go to Wyoming. And then they looked at Florida, like Florida's sick, moved to Florida. Then they're like, whoa, Texas. Nobody moves to Texas, Texas, whatever. What they didn't know is that it is uh, politically not quite aligned with the people who are coming there from Northern California. Crazy. 
super crazy. Also, the weather in Texas, not as good as the weather in, North, in, in Northern California. It's substantially worse, especially if you don't like heat and uh, pure misery in the summer. So all of these Californians are like, I have to go back to California, which is proof. The only reason that they were in Texas in the first place has nothing to do with any sort of local economic existence. It has everything to do with the fact that they just don't want to pay taxes to the state of California. I live in the weirdest example of this in Knoxville, Tennessee. There have been a crazy influx of people that have been doing this because they started in Nashville, mm-hmm. got too pricey. Now they're going to Knoxville. Knoxville has for a long time been the best kept seeker in the United States. It's awesome. Seeker got out. So all of these Great Californians team. and New Jerseyans and New Yorkers who had work from home, finance jobs and tech jobs, they moved to western, western, western Knoxville. Now, Knoxville suburbs are not circular. They run in a line along the river. It's just a big, long line. It's like 40 minutes away just in one direction. Those people basically don't live here. They wake up, they do their job, they live in their huge house, they go to the grocery store, that's it. They don't even really it's, stimulate it's the local economy. Yeah. So, like, are we just kind of sort of living among one another? And, like, are those people, what part of it, where does their economic data count? If they have salaries and they're reporting their salaries at $250,000, which would be crazy above the median in Knox County, Tennessee, but they're not participating in the Knoxville economy, are they even here? I mean, that's, 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 a great question. Yeah. Our, our economy is increasingly characterized by interrelationship. Mm-hmm. So when people are able to buy things online through Amazon, they're able to work remotely, and all mm-hmm. they really need to do is participate to the extent that they want to in the local economy, not that they have yeah. to. Like, they have other sources right. of... You got to get your groceries there, but, I mean, they have other That's ways it. to buy goods. It's it's kind of hard to say. Yeah. But, you know, Nick, when, when, when we ask the question of, like, okay, what... What causes this this disconnect that Americans have? I mean, we talk about personal biases. We yeah. talk about the limitations of knowledge. You know, we, we, we can kind of boil it down in some ways to my sphere of interest about you know, the rest of the world doesn't have any real bearing on my sphere of influence. Like my personal financial situation is kind of disconnected. Like if I can make it things work for myself, then it doesn't really matter to me how good or bad the economy is. Like that's not something that's important. But... There are other factors at play, and I want to highlight two of them. So this is not this is not a political podcast, and we're not really interested in that discussion. But it is pretty hard to deny that political partisanship is a major contributing factor. When the red guys are in the White House, the blue guys want to point out how crappy the economy is. Mm-hmm. And when the blue guys are in the White House, like now, the red guys want to have an incentive to say, see, the economy is really crappy. And you, know, you, you can see that reflected in stuff like when Trump took office in 2016 or in 2017, unemployment was reaching the beginning, like levels that it was at at the beginning of the recession in 2007. And they took major credit for that. They're like, oh, yeah, lowest unemployment rate ever. This is so great. Everything is wonderful. But the trend line of unemployment data that Barack Obama inherited was just a continual straight line downward for like years. So all the hard work of the previous administration, the next administration took credit for it because they were on opposite sides of, of the aisle. Uh, Republican assessment of the economy right now, according to the Paul Krugman letter, is about the same as what it was in June of 1980 when mm-hmm. you know, Reagan was about to take office. Yep. And at that time in June of 1980, unemployment was about twice what it is now and inflation was about four times as it was now. Inflation was terrible in, in the 70s and 80s. So those economic measures are worse, and yet Republicans feel the same way about the economy today as they did before. 
And events of the last few years have really kind of added to that sourness. It, it, it hasn't it hasn't improved things. And in fact, there's an article that's uh, published, but it, it, there's an interview conducted by Derek Thompson that he published a transcript of in The Ringer. And the, the, the title of it here is Americans Think the Economy is Terrible, the Data Tell Another Story. It's it's another version of, of what we've been talking about. Yeah. It was published in July this year. Yep. And Derek points out, he says, according to Pew Research, the United States is currently mired in the longest periods of, of what they call severe pessimism in the history of polling ever, of all time. So he said, Amer- most Americans think the U.S. is either in a recession or on the cusp of a recession, and most Americans have thought that for the last year or two. And so he's asking this person that he's interviewing, Jordan Weissman, he says, you have two minutes to make the administration's case that the economy is more impressive than most people think. Where do you start? And the guy says, Jordan says, I don't think it even takes two minutes. The first point is the unemployment rate, which we've talked about. That's, yeah, that's at a 54-year low. And you can zoom out and look at international comparisons and compare it to like where the rest of the world is. We don't have time to discuss this, but China's economy is kind of in the shitter right yes. now. Like it's not, it's not good. Yeah. In fact, right. this summer they stopped publishing youth unemployment data because it was so bad. It was like you know, 20, 30% the last time they published it. So it's, it's really not good. So part is, but, but there's a political motivation to being able to say, well, the economy is good or the economy is bad. Like, it's not enough to say, well, you know, I'm doing really well as a Republican and times are really good. Because if you do that, then you admit to saying, well, you know, the guy in charge is in some way associated with this. The president doesn't set the economy, you guys. Yeah. The president isn't in charge of gas prices. So these childish little I did that stickers that people put on gas pumps with Joe Biden pointing at it. That's, I mean, that's juvenile. And so, you know, it's hard for people to separate their personal political views from the reality in which they live because oh, people God, are more interested God. in the story. I know. It's, it's, it's Donald Trump really did turn... Well, he didn't turn. He completed the transformation from our political system into a reality TV show and capitalized on it in a really incredible and a way that people should be studying because there's many, many strategies that he employed to get elected in 2016 are fascinating, one of which was that he understood that it didn't matter anything. What you said, just lie as long as you win the moment. If you win the thing among your people, that doesn't matter what you say. Nothing matters. It just it, it, So it, the, the transformation to the reality TV show uh, is complete, and now it's just a fight. Like, is your team going to win or is my team going to win? We watch it in the same way we watch a baseball game, and that's kind of all that matters. I do want to highlight that the the vibes are bad. We So Kyla Scanlon, she had most recently in a newsletter like a week ago penned, is the vibe session over? It appears so. It seems like there is not going to be a recession now, is what Jerome Powell said, I don't know, a week Great. or two ago. However, here are the bad vibes and why people are kind of freaking out, just so that we know we're not making stuff up. Maybe we should have got this an hour ago, but thanks for going on this journey with us. Number we one, it. Uh, student loans are backing up. So because student loans were forgiven for a while during the global health crisis, they're no longer forgiven. People are going to be essentially losing. Well, they, weren't, it's, it's, they weren't forgiven. Payments were suspended on federal delayed. student loans. So people didn't Correct. have to pay student loans for a long period of time. The economic impact of student loans having to be repaid is going to be like huge salary cuts for a huge portion of the population, it, like mathematically, essentially. For people who are in high-paying jobs who yes. did not need the student loan relief, in, it's not it's not like paycheck protection. Nope. It's a 
reimbursement on a luxury purchase, which is to say a high quality American style education with all the trimmings. So the student loan bubble, I think, feels bad to people who read the news and communicate about the news on social media a lot. Yes, but the way I that it's don't gonna, know it, that it's the way they uh, think it's impact the economy is they're going to have to pay this and then they won't have more money. And that money is either going to go back into savings products or it's going to go into the local economy. And that money is now not going to go to those places. So that's one reason that people... Like, and again, yes. this is vibes. This is vibes. So the vibes. other big thing vibes is that um, the data, most recent housing data says that of the 86-ish million homes in the United States, only about 1 million are for sale, which is like borderline historically... Uh, low supply on home single family homes that is shockingly low it's crazy low also um because of the cuts like we were talking about jobs versus careers people can afford a house about sixty thousand dollars less their budget is sixty thousand dollars less than it was about three or four years ago um and that's on from, average too right? yes I mean. on average which is again averages we don't trust averages in this podcast sure. and then of course the big one the big one is that this has been the summer of strikes um, of course, the famous people are striking in Hollywood, but there's about to be a crazy auto worker strike. Um, there are a number of places like Waffle Houses and Starbucks in the South that are about to go on strike. The UPS Waffle strike House. was super. Uh huh. There, are, the South has a lot of union activity for retail unions, and it's. I mean, like, the 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 labor pushback in America is gonna is is coming. It feels very much like. 1800s slash 1970s here where people like unions are pushing back in a big way. The UPS union has invigorated a lot of these people for the crazy salaries that they were able to secure 170 K after you get to a certain point, which is, which is crazy. So that those are the things that are making the vibes off. And those are reasonable concerns. But then you look at the numbers and you're like, yeah, but why are, if the vibes are so off, why is everyone spending money? Where are you? What's happening? Cause the banks are not yeah, lending is, out money the way they did. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a really curious thing. And you know, Axios also, adds to and, and a possible explanation to this in 2020 in June 2023 Emily Peck writes this story for Axios and the the top line of the story is turns out how you feel about the economy likely comes down to your paycheck we've yeah. we've kind of hinted at it before you mentioned jobs sure. versus careers we've mentioned consumer spending we've mentioned other financial obligations whatever the case is your paycheck is probably the major determining factor. If your wages are outpacing inflation, things look good to you. If not, then mm. not. And one of the one of the keys here is that's, that wages have generally stagnated relative to other economic indicators like inflation. Sure. Yep. And so the the, the 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 story isn't doesn't start and end there, but if people are making a lot more money relative to the cost of living, then of course they're going to feel good about the economy. But if people don't make a lot more money relative to the cost of inflation, they still got to spend money. So consumer spending is still going to be up, but it's not going to feel good. And they're not going to have as much, not going to self-report as much financial security. So, you know, it, I don't want to boil things down to one number because you, you brought up some really good points there with some other factors like housing and add student loans and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, it, it it really does come down to like what's your what's your personal financial situation actually like, and I don't know if you really need to do the business of drawing conclusions about yeah. whether the economy is good or bad if they you're don't. if you're doing okay. They now, if you're not an economist, do then like it doesn't really matter to you. No, it absolutely. I mean, absolutely you could be interested right. in it, but it doesn't doesn't affect. If you're okay, then you're okay. Yeah, and I think that's all people are kind of worried about right now. And I think there's in the last fifteen years, there's been a lot of numbing 
to these big stories and they're just like, yeah, of course times are shitty. You can't trust the people in power. Duh. And that's that's where we're at. That's where people are vibing right now. Don't lose interest. Don't lose hope, Player 3. Join Read us the news. on our hopeful journey. Learn, Learn boring grow, stories. Become uh, better. Be like us. We can only get better from here. Yes, it can't get any worse. Maybe. No, we cannot.